How many of you can remember that the greatest distinguishing mark that your father had drifted into the land of irrelevance uh, was when he no longer realized what the current trend was in sock fashion? How, how many of you remember that? Like, remember your dad would come out and he would have, a he would have on the Larry Bird shorts, like a little too short. And then he would have on uh, the dark dress socks with his tennis shoes, right? And you're humiliated. And he's like, what, what? Like, can you pull your shorts down? Can you take those socks off? Can you set them on fire? Something. So one of the ways that you realize if you're still relevant is if your sock game is still strong. And so for a while, it was the dreaded dress socks with shorts. Now, uh, confession's good for the soul. How many of you are sitting next to someone who still wears dress socks with shorts? Would you just acknowledge that if you're sitting next to someone? No one in the room. I think there's some liars in here. I just want to share that, all right? So for a while, it was that. Then it was tube socks. Remember the glorious gift of tube socks? The two-colored bands? So for a while, it was tube socks. Uh, there for a while, uh, they were the right socks. They were the plain white ones. But your dad would come out, and instead of having them pushed down, he'd have them pulled up to right under his kneecap, just for support. For a while after that, uh, it was my personal favorite, which was socks with sandals. Anybody wear socks with sandals? Anybody sitting next to someone who wears socks, listen, what a glorious gift from God, amen? Like when a, when a brother comes out with socks and sandals on, I'm, re, I'm rejoicing, I'm encouraged in that. Uh, then after that, it was ankle socks, which they just come up a little over the ankle, but you don't have to scrunch them down, they're the right color, but they're ankles, and so that's where I stopped at. Like I thought that's where the progression ended at, and so the other day, uh, I was uh, coming out uh, downstairs, and I had a pair of shorts on and ankle socks, and my daughter gets this paralyzed look on her face, and she just, she's there with her friend. She says, nice socks, Dad. I could tell she was aghast. I didn't know this, but now you're supposed to get socks that actually uh, don't even show outside of the shoe. Who knew? But I just want to acknowledge I made it to year 41 before my sock game fell off the map just a little bit, all right? And so I'm no longer uh, relevant. I am, in that moment, I realized at the age of 41, I am no longer cool. But here's the good news. At 41 years of age, I'm not pursuing coolness, I'm pursuing wisdom. And one of the greatest places to find wisdom in all the scriptures is in the book of Proverbs. And so, if you have your Bible, let me invite you to turn to the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at several Proverbs this morning, uh, this, and we're going to start off in chapter 16 and work our way through several principles in the book of Proverbs. And this morning, I have a message here on Graduate Recognition Sunday. I want to preach uh, in honor of one of the great fountains of wisdom of our day, Share. And so, did someone just say, whoo? So uh, I've entitled the message, If I Could Turn Back Time. Uh, if I could just go back uh, and embrace wisdom in some area of my life, uh, one of the first places I would desire wisdom is in the area of friendships and deep personal uh, relationships. You know, when you're in high school, you have little control over who you interact with every day because geography defines that for you. If you live in this zip code, you're going to go to school with these people. You're going to walk around these people. However, uh, once you begin to transition into adulthood, you have a lot more freedom over who you're going to allow to be a part of your life or who you're not going to allow to be a part of your life. And some people have learned that lesson the hard way. Unfortunately, it takes years at times to heal the wounds from a friend. And so over the last uh, couple of months, in the interim period of uh, not having a youth pastor, I've been teaching our students uh, most Wednesday nights. And in that uh, time of sharing with them over the last few months, let me just encourage you this morning. Uh, there, there's a tendency, uh, if you're my age and certainly older than me, to look and say, uh, just to be negative about the generation coming behind us. Is that not fair? 
you know, th- these kids today and when I was young and all this kind of stuff. Let me just tell you this. After teaching our students for the last few months, uh, I'm incredibly encouraged about the young adults that we at Liberty Heights are releasing out into the world. I could not be more proud of them. They listen, they take notes, they ask questions, they pursue wisdom in their life. And so uh, I'm incredibly encouraged at the young adults that we're releasing out into the world. Now, the difference is this. When I was their age, uh, that was not the case. I was not pursuing wisdom. I was pursuing popularity. I was pursuing all kinds of things. And if I could go back, if I could turn back time and go back to their age, uh, the one thing I would have asked for and the one scripture I would have embraced is, is this. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33, which says this. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Like if I could have just gotten a hold of that and understand that the people I surrounded myself with had a direct impact on my life. And the verse there, he says, don't be deceived. Uh, in other words, don't be naive in thinking that the people you allow into your life will have no impact on your life. As a matter of fact, he says that the exact opposite true, that who you allow into your circle of influence, whoever becomes a close personal friend, they will have an impact on the decisions you make and the course of your life on how it plays out. That's why there's a cliche that says this, show me your friends and I will show you your future. Some people my age and older, they still not learned that principle and it's caused them and the people they love lots of heartache. Andy Stanley has a statement he says often I love and here's the statement that he makes is this, choices, not chance, determine destiny. Choices, not chance, determine destiny. Now we like the idea of fate just carrying us along like a ship on a sea and that makes for great uh, greeting cards and great lifetime movies. But the reality is simply this, that that is simply not how life works. Your life is the sum total of all the choices you make, some big choices, some small choices. But if you could take all of your choices and add them together, that is the direction of your life because choices, not chance, determine your destiny. And so the most important thing to gain in all of life is not success, it's not a degree, it's not riches, it's wisdom. And one of the key places of having wisdom in our lives is the friendships that we build uh, in our lives. And 1 Corinthians 15, says it so, so clear. Let me share another verse with you from Proverbs chapter 12, verse 26 says this, the righteous should choose his friends carefully for the way of the wicked uh, leads them astray. And so in Proverbs, what God is saying is, hey, listen, you, you should choose your friends wisely. You should choose those you allow into your life on an intimate level wisely. Why? Because if they're making wicked choices, you will be led astray. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. And so we're going to look through the book of Proverbs uh, this morning, gain wisdom uh, on friendships. Uh, one of the basic needs we share uh, is a desire for, for friendships in our lives. Uh, Despite living in a culture where people have thousands of friends on Instagram and Twitter and and Facebook and all kinds of social media, we're living in a world where sociologists still tell us the greatest epidemic in our culture is loneliness. Did you ever think when you were growing up that someone would have claimed thousands of friends and yet the greatest epidemic in our culture is still loneliness? To deny our need for friendship is to deny our own humanity. Listen, even Jesus himself, he loved everyone, but he had close friends. Uh, When you look through the Gospels and read the account of Jesus' life, you see him often staying at the home of friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. 
Uh, there were 12 disciples, but among those 12, he poured into all of them. Three of them were on his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. And instead of John, even, he was the beloved disciple. And so even Jesus had a desire for friendship. So what are we talking about? Irma Bombeck uh, said this, a friend is someone who doesn't go on a diet when you're fat. Can I get an amen? Is that not a great wisdom? That's not in the Bible, but it should be, right? Friend is someone who doesn't go on a diet when you're fat. I just would say this, a friend is someone who isn't trained for a triathlete when you're overweight. Would you just acknowledge that as well? And while I would agree with that statement, the Bible actually has deep wisdom on this issue of friendship. The Bible doesn't just, listen, the Bible speaks directly to some principles of friendship and God-honoring relationships. So uh, let me just go in the order in the book of Proverbs. We're going to start off in chapter 16 uh, this morning. And the uh, first principle is simply this. Choose friends. When you're lying people in your life, choose friends you can trust uh, with secrets. Choose friends that you can trust with secrets, those who are committed to confidentiality in the context of that relationship. I heard a story about three pastors. They were out fishing together one day. They decided it might be helpful if they just kind of shared with each other their favorite sin. They can't share that with their church. They would lose their job. And they said, hey, we're out here on a boat in the middle of the lake. No one knows we're out here. Let's just share with each other kind of confession is good for the soul. And so the first pastor said this, my problem is greed. I love money and material things. The second pastor said, my problem is lust. I cannot keep my eyes off a good-looking woman. The third pastor said this. He said, my problem is gossip. I can't wait to get back to town. <laughs> now, we tolerate gossip because we've all been guilty of it. Uh, we're really indignant about the sins that we're not guilty of because we can't be condemned by them. But when it's a sin that we're guilty of, like gossip, or maybe we're not gossiping, but we're entertaining gossip, uh, we just kind of, we're not real harsh on that. Why? Because we know that we're guilty. We know to point out the speck in someone else's eye, there's a log in our own eye when it comes to the sin of gossip. And so we just kind of shrug it off. We treat it as casual. Uh, I love it when we try to spiritualize gossip. Hey, I want to share this with you. And you may not have heard this, uh, but I'm just sharing with you so that you might be able to pray, right? It wasn't gossip. It was a prayer request so that you might not pray uninformed. Uh, Webster defines gossip as either a person who habitually reveals personal or uh, sensational facts. Now, the Bible speaks in various terms uh, about the issue of gossip and a person who is a gossip. Listen to some of the ways the Bible describes a gossip. One of the biblical words uh, used in the book of Romans and in 2 Corinthians uh, is a whisperer. Uh, it points to the intimate nature of material that share, the kind of whispering, and no one knows this, but I know this. And there's a part of us, if we're honest, that we love to have information that no one else has. And for some people, that power, that temptation is too overwhelming, and so they get involved in gossip, and they become what the Bible calls a whisperer. Hey, you probably don't know this, but did you hear about, and I just want to share, you know, those kind of things. And so the whisper is one of the ways it's described. Another word uh, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and 1 Timothy chapter 5 is called a busybody. I love that word. I haven't heard that word used in a long time, but a busybody, just someone who spends all their time just going from person to person, and I don't know if you heard this, and I don't know if you're aware, but we need to be praying about someone because this happened, and no one knows yet, so just kind of keep it on the down low, and so that's a busybody is what the scripture uh, describes. Another word uh, means to meddle in business that doesn't pertain to you. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 15 uh, comes from the verb meaning uh, to babble. 
This is just a person who just, it's not their business, they're not a part of the solution, they're not a part of the problem, but they cannot help themselves just babbling on about this information that they have. Another word translated, uh, malicious gossip. Now, now listen to this. We, we treat gossip as casual because we all do it or we all entertain it, but another word translated malicious gossips in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus 2 is the same word that is most often used to translate the word devil. And so in other words, when I'm involved in gossip or in slander, uh, I'm, I'm involving myself in the devil's work in someone else's life. Gossip is sharing information which damages another person's reputation with those who have no need to know it. And let me just share this as well. Even if it's factual, it's still gossip. It's still slander. Because the intent is not to be that you're a part of the problem. The intent is not to be a part of the solution. The intent is to expose someone else in a weak area of their life. I was listening to a pastor preach a couple of weeks ago, and he said, uh, he said, now listen, do you think that gossip is a big deal? And you're like, ah, you know, he said, do you think that prostitution is a big deal? And of course, everybody's like, wow, that's a huge deal. He said, I want you to share the, their first cousins, and here's why. He said, because both of them have the intent of exploiting someone else's weakness for your own personal satisfaction. Whoa. And you know what? He's right. Gossip is sharing information which damages another person's uh, reputation. Now, let's just do a little survey here this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever had your heart broken by gossip, ever been betrayed by a friend. Absolutely, most of us in the room this morning, we know the pain of that. Well, listen to these verses from Proverbs about the wisdom of choosing friends that you can trust with secrets. Proverbs chapter 16, uh, verse 28 says this, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. You want to break a friendship up? Just involve yourself in gossip. Uh, Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9 says this, He who covers an offense promotes love. In other words, you know something happened, you know something was wrong, but you don't have to broadcast it. You choose to cover that up in love. You choose to keep that confidential. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. And so if you have a uh, wisdom of Proverbs, the Bible says this, that, that whoever I allow into my life will determine the course of my life because bad company corrupts good character. And listen, one of the people you do not want to allow into your life, whether it's a new season, as a graduate, or I don't care how old you are, is a person who lacks confidentiality. A friend is one who can listen without having a burning desire to broadcast it. A woman once went to a priest for confession and accusing herself of bad-mouthing people, gossip, slander, all the above. She said, I just, I just can't help myself. The priest on the other side of the curtain was a wise old man. He listened lovingly. He gave her uh, strange penance. Here's what he said. He said, I want you to go home, and I want you to get a hen from your hen house. He said, I want you to walk back here, and as you're walking back here, I want you to pluck all the feathers off that hen. And so she did that. She came back, and uh, the priest told her, she said, now go back and home, and as you go, pick up each feather that you plucked along the way. The woman said, listen, it's, it's impossible. It's all those feathers have blown everywhere. I have no idea where they've gone. I can't track them down. The priest told her, he said, you see, just as it is impossible to pick up the feathers once the wind has scattered them, it is likewise impossible to gather gossip back up once it's come out of your mouth. Now, I'm not Catholic, but that priest is smart, Amen. Choose friends who can keep a secret. Second wisdom in choosing friends is choose friends who are consistent. Choose friends who are consistent. 
We've all had friends in our life that for whatever reason or another, uh, they, they love to be there when bad news comes their way. Have you noticed that? They, they get it. Your life falls apart and for some reason they're excited. Then there are other friends when your life's going well, they're not as excited. But choose friends who are consistent. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 says this, a friend loves at all times. It doesn't matter if your life's going well. It doesn't matter if your life's in the bottom. A friend is consistent in their devotion to you. They're loyal. They're dependable. You can count on them. A friend loves at all times. You stand by them. They stand by you when it's inconvenient, uh, when it's great personal cost to them. Listen, one of the marks of wise friendship is there is consistency. Life is good, they're there. Life is bad, they're there. You're weeping, they're weeping. You're rejoicing, they're rejoicing because a friend loves at all times. An English publication had a contest on the best definition of a friend. Uh, two that received honorable mention were this. A friend is somebody who multiplies your joys and divides your griefs. The other submission that got honorable mention was a friend is someone who understands your silence. But first prize went to the one that said this, a friend is someone who comes in when the whole world has gone out. Now, if you want to know who your true friends are in life, then just make a mistake. Make a mistake in your life and you'll find out those who are still walking with you, those who are still encouraging you, those who are standing by your side, even when it uh, may cost them some of their reputation by being associated with you because a friend loves at all times. A false friend, as soon as things get bad and the ship starts going down, they'll be like rats off the ship. But a true friend loves at all times. Uh, one writer said this, he said, friends are not blind, they just choose to overlook some things, and a true friend is a good forgetter. You know what, a phrase that never comes out of the mouth of a true friend is this, I told you so. I told you so. They're just consistent. They're just consistent because a friend loves at all times. Can't help but think of the words of the Apostle Paul, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, that great passage of love that we often hear in wedding ceremonies. He said this, uh, love is patient, kind, it's not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love doesn't demand its own way. Love is not irritable. It keeps no record of when it's been wrong. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. It's always hopeful. It endures through every circumstance. Now, if we took the word love out of that and just put the word friend in, let me read that back to you again. A friend is patient and kind. A friend is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. A friend does not demand their own way. A friend is not irritable, and they keep no record of when they've been wronged. It's never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. A friend never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and a friend endures every single circumstance. Why? Because a friend loves at all times, Proverbs 17, 17. Native Americans had a word for friend, and its literal translation was, one who carries my sorrows on his back. That great translate. One who carries my sorrows on his back. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24 says this A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And so, what is Proverbs chapter 18 saying? What it's saying here is this Listen, the goal of your life should not be just to be as popular as possible. The goal of your life is to have some few committed close friendships that you can rely on, you can count on when things are good and when things are bad. They are consistent and so a friend is consistent they love at all times they weep when you weep they rejoice when you rejoice now let me just ask you a question my guess is this morning that every person in the room would say I'm, I'm a good friend to have like I've never met a person who said you know what I'm a terrible friend no one wants to be my friend I'm horrible to be a friend with 
And so let me ask you a question of that band of rejoicing when they rejoice. Uh, how do you handle your friend's successes? How, how do you respond uh, when they get to do something you don't get to do? How, how do you respond uh, when they buy something uh, that you could not buy? Do, do you find yourself rooting for them? Or is there this inner jealousy, this inner competition? You would never say it out loud, but in the heart where God sees, you know that you're not nearly as excited as they are. Listen, a friend loves at all times. A true friend is consistent. Now, why do I want that in my life? Because good company corrupts bad character. And so let me say the third thing in the book of Proverbs is in chapter 27 uh, is this, is choose friends who love you enough to be honest. Choose friends who love you enough to be honest. Now, I'm going to just gonna let you on a little secret. This may crush you a little bit. This may be discouraging for you uh, just a little bit, but I'm just going to share something with you this morning, some truth. Every person in the room, you included, has some blind spots in their life. Did, did you realize that? There are some things that you're unaware of. There are some things about your personality that you're un unaware of that may grind on other people. There are some things about your character that you've been deceived by your own heart about. There are some, just some, there are some blind spots in your life. And the reality is this, is that a close friend will love you enough to be honest. My guess is if we went around the room this morning and I asked a question, I said, hey, has there been a time in your life where you made a mistake, you, you made a series of mistakes, you made a lot of bad decisions, uh, and during that time, on the other side of it, you could look back and say, man, uh, no one spoke into my life, or, or this, or someone tried to speak into my life, and I just totally rejected it. There's not a person in this room at a key place of making an unwise decision would have looked back and said, I wish someone would have said something. Or, or someone did say something, and I wish I would have had the humility to listen to them. Because if I would have listened to them, they cared enough to confront, they spoke the truth in love, I could have avoided all these unwise decisions and all the painful consequences that have followed from that. And a friend is a person who loves you enough to be honest. Now, again, we've all had those people in our life where um, they're just a little too excited to be honest about your faults. You ever had a friend like that? They just, you know, you just said, well, I just hope if I, well, as a matter of fact, let me just let you in on a little secret. You know, they just, you come out, you say, I just don't think this looks good on me. You're right, you look terrible, you heifer, right? <laughs> it's just that, just that, that person who, for whatever reason, uh, they're just way too excited to share truth with you. And it's not truth in love, it's just truth. <laughs> You know, you've, you know are you, are you, how do I look? You've never looked worse, right? And so that's not what we're talking about here. But Proverbs does say this. Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6 says this. Better is open rebuke. Now, now what, is, what is rebuke? Rebuke is a biblical word for correction. All right? So listen to what it says. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Here's what he's saying. It's better someone to be honest with you, even if the truth hurts and they speak truth and love, than it is for them to flatter you. And flattery is always easier to hear, right? Listen, I love to, to walk out and say, hey, how do I look? You've, you listen, you've never been in better shape. You look fantastic. Go out there and preach your heart out, right? 
But listen, the honest person doesn't just flatter you. They're speaking truth in love into your life. You say, hey, I'm going to make this decision. Oh, yeah, that's a great decision. I couldn't agree with you more. No, listen, the honest person says, you know what? Um, I love you enough to share this. It's a little uncomfortable, but I think if you make that decision, it may not honor the Lord. It'll alter the course of your life in this season, and there could be some consequences. And I know that you don't want to hear that, but I love you too much to sit back and watch you make a decision that lacks wisdom. So let me ask you a question. Two questions, actually. Number one, who in your life will do that for you? And here's the second question. How easy is it for someone else to share things like that with you? You see, my experience is this, is that there are times where we see someone doing something, we know that it's not honoring the Lord, we know that it lacks wisdom, we know the outcome, we know there's a blind spot going on, and the reality is, is that many times uh, we don't give off the vibe that I'm open to receiving correction from anyone else, and so other people see it, and they just walk away. Why? Because they know it's not going to be received. So let me ask you this question, this important question, for me included, everyone in the room, how easily, how humble do you receive correction when it's truth and love? And my experience has been this. For most people, myself included, not very well. Not very well. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. And so who in your life has permission to speak truth and love into your life? And do you receive it? And again, there's everybody in the room this morning can go back at a point in time and say, Oh, I wish I would have listened I wish I would have heeded the counsel of that friend who loved me enough to be honest and I got furious with them and I, and I just, you know, I got defensive. By the way, the key mark of a person uh, who doesn't like to be corrected is they're just uh, defensive all the time. It doesn't matter what it is. Hey, I think you should. No, I shouldn't. Quit judging me. You know, th those kind of statements all the time. But the reality is simply this is we need people to speak truth in our lives because every person in the room has blind spots. A true friend may compliment you, but they will never flatter you because hypocrisy and flattery are first cousins. cousins. Here's, here's why a hypocrite will say things behind your back that he would never say to your face. A flatterer will say things to your face that he would never say behind your back. Listen, uh, faithful friends are honest to the point where sometimes it is a little uh, uncomfortable. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 26 uh, says this, an honest answer is a sign of true friendship. An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. If you have a friend in your life and there's a pattern of dishonest communication, just newsflash, according to Proverbs, they're not a friend at all. Honest communication is a sign of friendship. Now, let me give you some practical rules for being candid. Uh, number one, you compliment in public, but you correct in private. You compliment in public, but you correct in private. I, I cannot tell you how important that is. Listen, parents... Do not humiliate your children in public. Public is for praise. Listen, shame is what you're hoping to accomplish, and shame doesn't transform hearts. Shame uh, captures hearts. 
in prison. It, it binds up hearts. It alters the, the heart affection of someone's life where they all of a sudden, they become uh, conditioned to that and their whole life is spent trying to get approval to overcome the shame that's captured their heart. And parents, you can put shame in a child's heart. Listen, the only thing that should happen in public is praise. Write that down. Correction happens in private. Now, I've made a lot of mistakes as a parent, a lot of mistakes. But this is one that we've tried to model consistently over and over. Listen, uh, I have, there have not been a shortage of times where going into a restaurant, I have pulled one of my kids behind a car in the parking lot and wore them out for the glory of God, right? You little sinner, I'm going to beat that sin right out of you. But public, you compliment them. There's, no, there's nothing that bothers me more. Listen, people do this with their adult children. They haven't been to church a long time. They'll show up at Easter, and they'll introduce them to the pastor. And the first thing out of their mouth, sometimes to grown men, is, well, I can't get them here any other time. They were raised right in church. I don't know what's wrong with them now. And I thought, I bet you're not coming back next week, are you? An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. It's what Proverbs says, but compliment in public, but correct in public private and my, my fear is this too many people get those things reversed secondly correct people when they're up not not when they're down you ever found a person where it seems like their their spiritual gift is to discern when people are their lowest point and then they just boom hope that helped that's just being honest no listen when people are down you comfort them they don't, they don't need, uh, they don't need uh, shame or correction in that moment. They need compassion. They need mercy in that point. And when, then, when they've received mercy and they've been strengthened in their inner man, then you say, you know what, uh, it wasn't the time then, but, but let me just share this. I think why you're in that place is because you made this decision and it was disconnected from the wisdom of God. And so, uh, so I just want to share this with you in love, not when they're down, though. Third principle of being candid is this, you never correct a person until you've proven first that you're open to correction. It goes back to the principle we've all heard before if you've been in church for longer than five minutes is let's not be guilty of pointing out the speck in someone else's eye when there's a log or a plank sticking out of our eye. Here's the fourth thing about wisdom for, from Scripture about choosing friends. Choose friends who will help you grow spiritually choose friends who will help you grow spiritually uh, proverbs chapter 27 verse 17 says this it's a familiar verse as iron sharpens iron a friend sharpens a, a friend now, now here's what's interesting do you know how you you sharpen uh, in that context it's by rubbing against the grain so it doesn't mean it's all just empty flattery, just encouragement. Listen, sometimes in an effort to sharpen you, someone may say something that's a little across the grain, and you've got enough humility to say, ooh, I, I don't like how that sounded, or that kind of cut a little bit, but maybe I needed that, so let me get alone with the Lord and, and see what maybe someone's speaking truth into my life before I get all defensive and argumentative. But you should choose friends who help you grow uh, spiritually. Listen, everybody you allow into your life, everybody that you allow into your life has an impact on your life, whether you realize it or not. Do not be deceived. Do not lack wisdom. 
Bad company corrupts good character. What does that mean? That means every person that I allow into my circle of influence has an impact on my life, whether I realize it or not. Now, you say, I don't think that's true. Then listen, if you don't think that's true, what you're saying is this, I'm smarter than God. I can, I can handle it. Yes, I know that person uh, lacks some character. Yes, I know that person is not pursuing the Lord. Yes, I know that person dragging me down spiritually instead of building me up. Yes, I know they influence me. But listen, uh, I, I'm not going to be, uh, that's not going to change the course of my life. Well, according to the scripture, it is. So choose friends who help you grow spiritually. Listen to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love uh, in good works. Well, what does that mean? That means, listen, if I'm a friend and I'm a Christ follower, then one of the primary purposes of friendships is to glorify God. How do I glorify God? Because I'm pushing them, helping them, prodding them, encouraging them to, to pursue obedience as the primary course of their life. It's always easier for someone to pull you down than it is for you to pull, for, for them uh, to pull you up. It's always easier for someone to pull you down than for you to pull them up. Now, let me just offer some wisdom. This is for graduate. This is for everybody in the room. That's why I believe this. I believe that your clo- closest, deepest friendships, if you're a follower of Christ, should be with other Christ followers. Now, do we build relationships with those who don't know Christ? Of course we do. We don't shun people. Of course we build relationships with those. But your deepest, closest friendships should be with those who are Christ followers, if in fact you are a Christ follower. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says this, Do not be yoked together with unbelievers, for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? What does a believer have in common uh, with an unbeliever? Now, often we quote that verse in the context of, of marriage and believers should only marry other believers and vice versa, you know. So, but the reality is that verse, that context doesn't limit itself to marriage. It has application way beyond that. And so let me put this into practical terms. Core values, not common interests, should define our deepest relationships. Uh, let me repeat that because that's original with me and I want to get credit for that nugget, all right? Core values, not common interests, should define our deepest relationships. I, I can't tell you how many times in the last 15 years I've, I've sat across from people and their, their marriage is just, you know, it's just rough and they're in my office. One of them is a Christ follower. One of them is not a Christ follower. And at some point in time, uh, their common interests began to fade. So what brought you together? Well, we, we both just liked uh, fill in the blank. Well, we, we both enjoyed, you know, this activity or, or travel, or we both liked, uh, you know, to eat at this place and this kind of food, or we both liked, you know, hobbies, we we're in the same thing. And well, listen, listen, a Christ follower at their core value is living for the Lord and His kingdom agenda. And if that's the motive of your heart as a Christ follower and someone else doesn't have it, I don't care if you both like Mexican food, it ain't going to work. And so the reality is this, is that if I'm looking for my friends to build me up in the Lord, guess what? They, my closest friends, the ones I'm deepest with, should be in the Lord as well. Do we build relationships with those who are? Of course we do. Of course we do. But our deepest friendship should be with those who have the same core values. Some of the saddest stories I've ever heard in my life have had a similar tagline 
And the tagline goes like this. Just got involved, mixed up in the wrong crowd. How many stories have you heard like that? Oh man, they were they were a good kid and they were they were they were you know involved in this. And they were you know just a and just a respectful and fun and laughing and, and I, I I don't know what happened. They just got mixed up in the wrong crowd. You know what happened? Do not be deceived. Bad character corrupts or bad company corrupts good character. Listen, what happened is the truth of God's word played out. Listen, truth and time go hand in hand. Just this couple of weeks ago, my mom was at our house and she said, do you know that, you know, she mentioned a friend of hers and I said, yes. And, and she said, did you hear what happened to her son? And I said, no. She said, well, he died this morning of a heroin overdose. And this was not a young, this was a person older than me. And I said, well, I, I don't know them. I said, that, was that, was that had been a struggle for them? Were they kind of battling that? And she said, no. She said, um, it was the first time he'd ever done it. I said, well, what in the world happened? She said, uh, his closest friend had gotten involved and came over and convinced him to try it one time. That was it. That was it. And the reality is this. God has wisdom in this area. God has direct wisdom in this area. And, and, and graduates specifically, listen, the people in this next stage of your life that you allow into your life will have a direct impact on how your life turns out. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, as you walk through all these marks of friendship, do you realize this? That every single one of these things were perfectly filled in Jesus Christ. Every single one. He's committed to you so much that he went to the cross. You can confide in him. He's consistent. He loves you whether you're up or you're down, you're performing well or you're not. His love is unconditional and consistent. He's spurring you on to obedience. You can trust him. He will never forsake you. And that's why the Bible says this, greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Romans chapter 5, verse 11 says, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relation with God all because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us in making us Friends of God. Listen, the most important friendship you'll ever build in your life is a friendship with Jesus Christ himself. And if you've yet to be introduced to him, this is a great day to do that very thing.